welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome back to another episode of Barnyard Language. And Katie, what's your update? What's happening on the farm? What's happening in the house? <laughs> uh, Miriam, we started recording this. The boy child, who is almost four, got a very positive COVID test. He was home from daycare. That anyway, line showed because... up real quick. Oh, yeah. Before the before the control line even showed up. Um, daycare is actually shut down today and tomorrow anyway because so many staff are out sick that they don't have enough adults, let alone how many kids are out sick. Both of our kids' little neighborhood playmates are out with COVID. I'm assuming the girl child will get a positive test when we pick her up from school today. It seemed kind of pointless to pick her up early because everybody's already got it anyway. Other than that, cows running away and cows going back in, and Katie getting a real good workout putting the cows back in. Yeah. How are your new lambs? Doing what lambs need to do? Growing. No more new lambs yet, which is good, and knock on wood. Other than that, not much. How are you doing, Arlene? Well, I'm feeling pretty good. The, uh, the kids actually went back to school and also gonna knock on some wood. They have stayed there so far. So yeah, they're attending school. No COVID exposures yet, so we'll see how long that lasts. But but for now, yeah, the, the house is empty during the day, which um, means that I can get a few things done. And my daughter went back to her co-op placement last week, so she worked on on the farm where she was doing her co-op placement, which was good because she between sickness and Christmas holidays and all that kind of stuff, it had been quite a while since she'd been able to go back to work work there. So she was really happy. And they're not supposed to get paid for co-op because, I mean, that's the whole point. You're supposed to be learning for the experience. But she kind of got payment. And the, the farm where she stayed at, they offered her uh, a, an embryo that they had from one of the cows that she really likes in their herd. So she was very excited. Not, not, every, not every kid is going to be excited about getting an embryo in their uh, nitrogen tank, but they, they came and dropped her off and brought the tank with them so she has her her first embryo so she's very excited about that so it uh better catch when we get it implanted so that was yeah. her excitement last week and we ended up going on a small holiday this past week there was a concert that didn't happen because we're still in lockdown here there's nothing open all the restaurants gyms basically everything is, is still shut minus schools so we had an Airbnb booked for this concert that was not happening anymore, but we decided, well, a change of scenery is good too. So we had a little girls trip, went and stayed in a condo in downtown Toronto. So, I mean, the view is definitely a lot different from here. And it was so strange because we, the day we got there was windy and snowy and not, not ideal. So we just hung out in the apartment and it was actually very convenient. There was a grocery store right in the basement of the same building. So we just went down and got food for supper and played games and stuff. And, but then the next day was nice and sunny, still cold. I mean, it's Toronto, but 
we walk down to the, the harbor front and around downtown a little bit, kind of in where there's the CN Tower and the stadium where the Blue Jays play and there's an aquarium and normally it's bustling and full of people and there was no one there. We were the only people, in, you know, in the on the block at, at that moment. So it's very strange. It kind of feels like everyone got spirited away, but I guess, you know, all the everyone's working from home and are staying in their apartments, but it was a change, change of pace, change of scenery. So it felt good to get away, even if we didn't really do a whole lot. We'll have to post a picture of your candy haul for your trip too. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> yes, yeah. might as well have really thinking ahead. Yeah. Like oh, another it. thing I did last week was I attended virtually the Eastern Ontario Ag Women's Network annual meeting and conference. So that was fun. Just give a shout out for them. I also was reminded that um, my French is not as good as I thought it was. It's a bilingual organization because here in Eastern Ontario, we have a lot of English speakers, but a lot of, of French speakers as well. So their goal as an organization is to be fully bilingual. So they had one guest speaker who was French and two who were English. And I thought, oh yeah, I've got this, you know, I understand French. I did French immersion in, in school and I'm sure it was very good and I tried to follow along, but she spoke a lot quicker than I could understand, but I'll get the translated notes later. I'm sure that she, it was about, I know it was about goal setting. So that, that was good to know, but so, I, I didn't get a whole lot more out of it. You got a lot out of it because you're setting a goal to improve your French. Get some of those language apps downloaded. Yep. Yep. I'm sure your French is a lot better than mine since I don't speak any, but you know. Today, we'd like to welcome our first guest who isn't living and working in North America. Sarah Gladding Yoshihara is a farmer, business owner, and parent in Okayama, Japan. So Sarah, <laughs> what time is it there? It is about 10 in the morning on Saturday. Okay. So I have the whole place to myself. We've been having earthquakes. <clears throat> oh, dear, my voice. We've been having earthquakes, so I am a little afraid that the earthquake alarm will go off while we're talking. <laughs> if I suddenly go under the table, you'll know why. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's our interview got that stressful. She just went right under the table. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. So as I think you might know, we start each episode with the same questions. So we'll start off the usual way. What are you growing? Well, so we grow our main crops are rice and black soybeans. And we use both of those in the bakery. And then we've started growing oats. So that's another big one. And we have chickens for eggs. And then it's just the chaos of, you know, going through the seed catalog and wanting everything, going to the nursery and wanting everything. So <laughs> that's sort of our situation. And then, of course, the kids, too. Everyone always mentions their kids, 15 and 19. And so you have both a farm and a bakery. Do you want to tell us about what, what kind of those entities entail? Yeah. So we have the farm is sort of the main thing. It's sort of where things started. And then the bakery is now, it's now a gluten-free bakery where our main product is brownies, or I was listening to your old episodes. So they might be squares or bars to the both of you because only some of them are chocolate. <laughs> um, so we use the, the black soybeans that we grow on the farm. We have them roasted to a really dark, it's called kinako, which is a flavor that I think you guys probably get from exported stuff sometimes. So we'll use those in place of cocoa powder and some of the brownies and everything is everything is with our rice flour. And then we also, a few years ago, opened a cafe. So all of those vegetables that we can't help ourselves from, <laughs> from growing go into the cafe. We have salads and pickles and all that kind of stuff going. So that's, yeah, that's about it. I'm just glad that so many, many universal. 
so how many acres are you on or <laughs> growing yeah, on? No, I was going to do this math. I was going to do this math and I forgot. I think it's around two acres. We don't actually own most of it. It's, we've been sort of expanding as our neighbors retire. <laughs> so every year we add a field here and a field there. And so the one thing that's a bit different is, you know, where I grew up, I grew up in Northern California. My parents lived on 20 acres out in the mountains of Northern California, whereas we have sort of a neighborhood and we have a few fields that are attached to where our farmhouse is. And then we have a field here and a field there sort of scattered around the neighborhood. So all together, I think it's around two acres, I think. <laughs> sure. And then, but those are broken up into smaller chunks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Sarah, we know that you were born and raised in California. Why are you in Japan? I mean, it, it seems like a lovely place, don't get me wrong. But I, well, I, mean, know, I assume days, there's some days. sort of a story that you just wake up and we're like, I'm going to Japan, I'm out. Well, no, not quite, but mm, not so far. No, my husband is Japanese. We met in graduate school in Northern California. Neither of us finished. We met and then dropped out of graduate school. And then we tried a few things. And then we did just kind of one day wake up and say, you know, it was the point when the housing bubble in the U.S. was just going out of control. We're never going to be able to afford something here. We live, well, what, would it, what would it be like to live in Japan? We kind of looked it up and realized you could buy an old house, an old farmhouse for like a car price versus, you know, half a million dollar for like a shack in the United States at that point. And uh, we just sort of, we thought, why not give it a try? <laughs> and so 17 years later, here we are, I guess. <laughs> So what did the farm look like when you started? Did you move to Japan and start farming right away? Or were you doing other things when you first moved back? Or what, did, like over 17 years, how has that kind of progression happened? Yeah, well, so when we, well, when I first dropped out of graduate school, we moved my husband to a different graduate school. We had a couple of little containers on the balcony. And then the next house we moved to, we did maybe double that, a little garden in the backyard double that. So then by the time we moved to Japan, we were like, well, you know, maybe it's time to have some chickens. We'll have a garden. And our first year there, one of the neighbors had extra rice seedlings. So, well, I guess this year we're growing rice. And then, you know, a few years later, one of the neighbors retired. So I guess now we have twice as many fields and it's really just sort of kind of grown from there. But my, but I, but like I said, my, you know, my parents, uh, and 20 acres out in the far mountains of Northern California. So I grew up having gardens. We had chickens. I did, I did lambs with 4-H for a while when I was a kid. We had pigs. My parents had emus for a while. We were, we're a real just like try it out sort of a family. And, and pretty much it's been that. And then at the same time, we were baking bread just sort of for fun. For fun. At the time, I was not gluten-free. So we were baking all these hearty weedy and rye breads. And the same neighbor that had the rice seedling said, well, there's this little farmer's kitchen thing you can rent. We're, we're doing, doing events. events. Why don't you guys come and make something? So we made bagels and we started selling those at events. And so sort of as the farm expanded, so did, you know, we used the rented kitchen. And I'm like, well, I guess we could build our own. And... <laughs> It just sort of same sort of thing. It just doubled from there every year, every two years. It just keeps growing all on its own. <laughs> so sounds like you don't say no to very many things. Though. That is exactly the situation at my house. Yes. <laughs> For our listeners, we'll add a picture when we put the show up. But Sarah, were you like 12 when you dropped out of graduate school or is this genetics or like she looks super young you guys and she's totally cute that is very sweet i'm feeling yeah 
<laughs> no, no, I have all the lights off. You can't see the gray hair, but it's there. No, I'm, what am I? 41. But no, I, I did actually, I graduated high school a little young. I graduated college a little young. So I took some community college classes because it's cheaper that way. So I was 20 when I met my husband, which was much younger than I would have ever imagined settling down and getting married. But one of the things when you and your partner are from different countries is if you want to live together, you got to get married pretty quick if you want to stay in the same spot. So I was 22 when we got married, 24 when we moved here. I'm 41 now. I have grown up children now. I have a 19 year old and a 15 year old. Was your husband from a farming background as well? Or is this a new lifestyle choice? For no. Him? So the Japan side comes from his side of the family and the farming stuff comes from mine. He's actually, his, his parents were both um, diplomats. They met at the UN in New York in the 1970s. And so he grew up sort of moving around every three or four years, moving to a different country. So he went to school in, he went to high school in the U.S. and then stayed and did college and graduate school there. This is how we ended up meeting. But he, he more than I really wanted to raise our kids in one spot. So, you know, he had moved around a lot when he was young. I did when I was very young, but when my dad was in the Navy when I was little, but from about age 10, I was in the same sort of area. He really wanted to be in one place and gardening just sort of, just sort of expanded and took over our lives less of a plan. He was actually studying mathematics when we met. Environmental systems, mathematical modeling was the degree that he did not end up finishing. <laughs> but yeah, we just sort of, you know, just sort of a hobby that took over our lives, really. <laughs> Although food was my, my educational background is in food and agriculture and rural developments. Sure. So how do you divide up the work between the two of you with a cafe and a bakery and a farm and all of those types of things? What does that look like on the ground? Like who, who's doing what? Yeah. Well, so it's changed over the years, sort of as our schedules have changed. Um, initially, we initially had everything in one spot on the farm. We lived in an old farmhouse and we built a log house kit next to the house where we started the bakery. And at that point, we would both work hands-on in the bakery, a lot of it at the same time. And then we started, at that point, the farm was still relatively small, but we, would, we grew a little bit of wheat and we grew rye one year. And at that point, we sort of, both of us did most everything a lot of time together, but you add kids into the mix and it's a lot harder for two adults to do the same thing at the same time. And we started splitting up. And at this point, we sort of um, deliberately give each other a lot of space. So we will sort of map out the overall direction together. But within that, we have pretty large areas where we are both just in charge. So the bakery itself is largely mine. So I'm largely in charge of the bakery and I work about 20, 30 hours a week in the bakery doing some of the actual baking. And then I have a staff of one, two, three. Right now it's four full-time people. It's gonna go down to three full-time and one part-time person in the new year in the bakery. And then my husband does the cafe is, his, is mainly his responsibility. So he, there's him and one other full-time person there. So we both really kind of are hands off, except when asked for help with each of those. And then the farming, we really sort of have to squeeze in around the edges. So a lot of it comes down to scheduling. It's, you know, so if it's an everyday thing, I'm at the farm almost every day. So then I do that. So I take care of the chickens. I do the eggs. I collect the eggs and, you know, do the seedlings, do all the watering. And he does a lot more of the like the one-time jobs. So like today is going to be tractoring all of the fields, get, get ready to plant the oats. He does that. And 
we, we really just sort of communicate over text a lot at this point. <laughs> Our children don't necessarily like to let us sit quietly and discuss things. So we have within the company Slack, we have a channel that's just the two of us saying, well, today I got this far. If you can take over, that would be great. <laughs> you know, we're currently trying to coordinate between our schedules and the weather. We need to harvest the soybeans. But it rained again, so I don't know when we're going to do it. And maybe hopefully tomorrow, maybe it's going to be Wednesday. So we just spend a lot of time sort of chunking it in around the other set bits. So I'm guessing based on what you're talking about in terms of field size and, you know, like the variety of crops that you're growing, then your scale of equipment is a lot different than what, you know, the typical North American farm. Absolutely. What does that look like? So everything really is like much more person scaled. So we, you know, we do have a nice tractor that has an air conditioned cab. But it's a, you know, it's a one person thing. It's about the size of a car. It's not the size of a semi truck. You know, I saw photos of your, of your harvesting and you have the, you have the big, the big like semi truck size hoppers. Whereas we have a little hopper that fits on our little tiny pickup truck. It's the, it's the super light kind of pickup truck that you'll see. Like, I don't know if they're even road legal in the U.S. They're like these little tiny pickup trucks that you can drive around. (laughs) So there's sort of much more like one person scale sort of a thing. So the, the combines as well, we have sort of the big one, we have the big, big variety now, but that again is like maybe a little wider than a car. It's not like, you know, you see the ones with the big wings. It's nothing like that. It's much more like everything fits on the small one lane road. We do have a few fields where nothing we own fits. I'm needing to buy Buy like like a a small, either a more stable hand tractor or something very small riding that we can ride on. Cause some of the, we have some fields that we've taken over from the neighbors that like can't get anything into you. I can't even get the mower. I can only get the handheld weed eating thing in there. So it is indeed a very different scale. <laughs> yeah. What are the food laws like in Japan versus in the U S or do you have much food experience in the States to be able to compare it? Well, I think I don't have, I haven't done so much in the U.S. I think, you know, you have a, I think in a lot of places in the States, you have sort of a, a home kitchen class where you can like sell at farmer's markets. So we don't really have that. And they've been sort of formalizing things a bit lately. So there are a few things where you could, they count as like farm products. So okay. things like pickles, you could sell without a specialized license, possibly until recently that may have changed. But we have very strict sort of the type of goods that you're allowed to produce in the type of facility. So that's one of the reasons that we have, we currently have two open kitchens and then we're going to open a third kitchen on the farm that will be, I believe technically it's soft drinks, although actually it's going to be for like a drink powder (laughs) for the, like a soybean, a soybean thing to mix with milk, but I think it's technically classified as soft drinks. So that part of it has been a little bit complicated, sort of the, the specific divisions, (laughs) to keep within the law. Mm-hmm. But there was things like when we had the bakery, you could not sell sandwiches. Sandwiches were considered a, like a restaurant food rather than a bakery food. So there are little things like that, that. Yeah. It's good to know that Japanese laws are just as random. As that is what it feels like. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. I found out that in the state of Iowa, at least you can sell hard boiled eggs at ah. farmer's market as long as you don't peel them. Right, exactly, exactly. You're not opening it to hard boil it. (laughs) Yes, there was. How is that possibly? Yep. (laughs) We have something similar where you can sell mixed greens and wash them as long as they're still connected to the base. But if you take the base off so that it's like a loose leaf salad mix, 
no good. <laughs> family has grown through fostering and adoption. And what was that process like for you, especially in a country where Japanese is not your first language? Yes. Well, so for us, it's meant that my husband has to handle a lot <laughs> because he is literate and fluent in a way that I just am not. But actually, it was all relatively straightforward. Um, we... After we moved here, we got our house fixed up a little bit because it is a hundred year old farmhouse. It did need, it did need some, some, there were some spots that needed floor and walls that needed patched up, you know, but we, we got that done and we just contacted our local cities. Oh gosh, what would you call them? Like the child welfare agency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they came out and did interviews and chatted with us and we went to some classes and people were very, uh, very helpful. So knowing that I might not understand things, sort of explaining things really, really well and very helpful. It did take quite a lot longer than I sort of had expected. We moved here when I was 24. And I think our our first daughter arrived when I was 29. And she was uh, two years old when she came to us. So she's 15 now. And she, gosh, it's hard to know what to say and what is sort of like (laughs) the kid's privacy space, isn't it? But she's, you know, her, her situation was that she was legally able to be adopted, which was what we had stated as our initial preference, because our, our initial idea was that we would be able to adopt them and then they would have a dual citizenship and be able to go back and forth between the U.S. and here. But a few years later, our second daughter was placed with us and she was age 10. But her situation was that she was a strictly a foster placement. So it was a long term foster placement. So there was no... There was no instability. We knew she'd be staying with us through adulthood, but she maintained the relationship with her family of origin a bit. And because it was a strictly foster situation, rather than adopting, being able to travel with her was a bit more complicated. So we have ended up being much more based in Japan without being able to travel to see my family as much. But, you know, that might have happened anyway, you know, because sometimes kids are hard to travel with and schedules are hard. Gosh, it's so much I don't, (laughs) it's hard to, (laughs) it's hard to know sort of what, what to say. But she, yeah, she was 10 when she came to us. She's 19 now. She has a few neurodivergencies. So the um, process of learning to just really support her has been a bit more and learning to navigate on top of the foster care system, learning to navigate special education and the additional services and things has been a challenge, but she's doing really well. So I'm really proud of her. I think that's probably more her than me, but we're making it through. (laughs) I don't know if you guys have more specific questions, I might be able to answer better. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I, one of the questions Mm -hmm. I had were, was, you know, like from someone who grew up in North America, how do you see the way your kids are growing up as, you know, and comparing that to, you know, maybe how our kids are, how, how you grew up, what are the main differences that, that you see in Japanese society versus in North America? Yeah. Well, so a big one, especially the phase of life that we're in right now has been the involvement of school, the level of the involvement of school. So my kids go to school, you know, they start about eight o'clock in the morning and through junior high and high school, through a lot of it, they have after school club that'll meet every day after school and then also on a lot of weekends so whereas i went to school in junior high from probably 8 30 to like 2 30 or 3 my kids are gone from like before eight in the morning until like six in the evening for my particular kids that's been great one of my kids is super social so all the time she can spend with other kids is wonderful and for my older daughter she's the, the structure and the familiarity of having her social life based at school has been good, but just the, the sort of, um, 
the emphasis on the amount of time they spend at school versus home has been a little bit of a, a shock to my system. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I suppose there probably isn't time, you know, like when I was in high school, I had part-time job, you know, helped out on the, the home farm, things like that. I'm guessing that if they're in school for that many hours, there aren't as many opportunities for, for, you know, part-time work or, or even helping out on the farm. Is that? Yeah. That yeah. There's, that's right. There's a lot less emphasis on like doing even, even like doing home chores, but yeah. So like being able to help out on the farm or a lot of high schools actually prohibit kids from having part-time jobs unless they get an sort of a special, a special permission to do it. Yeah. But also they'll have a, a much longer commute frequently uh, because high school is not based on your location. <laughs> so you'll test into the high school that sort of matches your level and your future plans. So there's a lot of focus on, you know, the kids are really focused on their future and what they're going to do next and much less focused on. Yeah. There's not a lot of time left for like doing chores or like independently making their own meals and things like that. (laughs) So that also has been a bit of an adjustment, sort of the expectation of, you know, of course it's the expectation is on the mother. There are families that, you know, where, you know, both parents share it a bit more, but the expectation is that, you know, the mom will get up early every morning and put breakfast on the table and pack everybody's warm lunch and always be, always be available to come pick the kids up wherever they are, whatever time. I think that's shifting a bit, you know, as time goes on, but Mm -hmm. that sort of underlying expectation does remain a bit. And that is quite different from what I grew up with. You know, I grew up, you know, I babysitting and having a part-time job and I, um, through high school, I lived with my grandparents because my grandmother was ill. And so I would make dinner every night. So that's, you know, there, there are, of course, cases where, where kids do that as well. But sort of the base expectation really is quite different. Mm-hmm. So are you in an area that is mostly rural or are you near kind of major cities? I'm not, I don't know a lot about the geography. Of Japan, <laughs> so maybe just give a bit of context for where yeah. you actually live and what that looks like. That's right. Well, so we actually, we're sort of, we're sort of spread out. So we're in a small city. So the overall population of the city is about a million people. And the way sort of the geography of Japan works is that you have a lot of really steep mountains. And so all of the population is really kind of concentrated in valleys and along the coast. So the city we live in is along the coast. And then there's sort of a a highway and a river and a railroad that run along together up into the hills. And so about a half an hour out of the city center, a half an hour, 45 minutes, things are really quite rural. We have a train, uh, a train stop about mm, 15 minute drive, hour, hour long, maybe a little more than that walk from where the farm is. And then about halfway between the farm and where we live, we have the bakery. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we have the cafe and the apartment where we live now are both on kind of the northern edge of the city. It's a small city, but bigger than where I grew up in Northern California. Yeah, so there's sounds pretty pretty big to me, but probably yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's it's not like living in Tokyo. Basically, it's a it's a it's a smaller thing, but sort of the the population the population density is is quite different from what I grew up with. Sure. So like where I grew up with, you could have a house and see nothing around for miles, but where we are is considered you know fairly rural. But you do have you're sort of almost in a little like a little neighborhood village. Like you can see several other houses. There's sort of the patchwork of fields. So everybody's sort of neighboring each other work-wise and living-wise. We all share the irrigation. There's like a lake out by, or a reservoir out behind the house. So we all communally work on that and keep that running. So it's sort of a, a different, more of like a very small little village focused agricultural community rather than a 
more of like the sort of homesteading sort of vision you might have in California and maybe up where you folks are. Sure. And when you talk about people retiring and then you taking over their properties, is that, you know, they come to you and ask you if you want it or like, how does that work in terms of the relationships within those, you know, those other properties? Yeah. So that's been exactly it. So it was sort of once we were established, the the nearest neighboring fields, you know, the, the man was probably in his 80s by then and looking to retire. So he said, well, how about you take over these? And then at, sort of as we get more established, more of the neighbors sort of notice that that's a possibility. And um, they're checking you have sort of a, that's right. That's right. I hope we're doing okay. I sort of spend a lot of my time worrying. I'm not keeping up with my, you know, maybe, maybe things are too weedy and everyone's mad at me. You know, I spend a lot of time <laughs> worrying about that, but Sure. So far, no one's uh, no one's kicked us out. <laughs> so most of those people are still living, you know, on the land or or in you know close by. But then they've they've offered you the opportunity to actually do the farming part. That's right. That's right. And it's it is sort of the way the way the land where we are works. It really is. There's there's bamboo and that bamboo grass mm-hmm. that grows into everything so fast. So if they were to just retire and not be able to do it anymore, it would be taken over by, and also the kuzu, right? So it'd be taken over by the bamboo grass and the kuzu in no time. So it's a, it's a reasonable trade because they know that if they just let go of it, it'll, it'll just go to, it'll be basically taken over within a year or two. So we do our best to keep up. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you said that you live in an apartment now. So does that, is, was that for the kids schooling or you, cause at first you were living on the farm. What, That's what right. What led to that part of the move? Yeah, so it's it's both the kids schooling and also our beautiful old farmhouse is very old and it actually has a thatched roof and then over the top of that is tin. No one can really keep up a thatched roof anymore. And the tin is sort of slowly degrading and about 5 years ago maybe we sort of realized there's just it's only it's all downhill from here and we didn't want to be with the kids and suddenly have a leak all in one spot so we moved quite we, we moved initially quite nearby so the kids could stay at their elementary school and then we my husband still stayed at the farm a lot it was like maybe a mile apart but when my youngest daughter was ready to start middle school she wanted to go to a bigger school and so it was either she would commute to the city to go to a bigger school or we could all move to the city and then my husband and I would commute out to the farm so we went with that and mm-hmm. last year, two years ago now, maybe a typhoon did come along and rip a pretty big hole in the roof. So I'm very glad we aren't still living under it and we're getting ready to take the house down. <laughs> good, good decision. That's right. <laughs> very validating. <laughs> so Sarah, how long did it take you to adjust to things like the money being different in Japan? I know I studied abroad in New Zealand and never did get the hang of like (laughs) you know in the money you grow up with you know what a quarter looks like like you don't have to think about which one's which you know but switching currencies and i'm sure languages as well has got to be it's hard to understand how much effort it takes to exist in a place that's different (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I think sort of the, a lot of the smaller things sort of adjust fairly quickly. So like the money rather conveniently, one yen is relatively close to one penny money wise. So it's actually fairly easy to track, but I mean, the language of course is exhausting. And then it's at this point, it's a lot of like 
when I run up against a wall that I wasn't expecting. So it's something like, I, I still can't get a credit card. I basically, <laughs> I've lived here my whole entire life, but I basically sort of don't exist. I can't get a credit card. I've been rejected, rejected for lots of like bank accounts. I've been trying to register because we're taking down the house. We're trying to get a trailer so that we can have a place to stay out on the farm. And I can't for the life of me figure out how to register it. <laughs> you know, I just don't seem to exist well enough, <laughs> you know, or it's you things a, like, are you a citizen yet, Sarah? No. So Japan does not allow dual citizenship, which is okay. challenging. Yeah. yeah. So I have permanent residency, which is good, but the pandemic has sort of really shown a light on how much that doesn't seem to matter to the government very much. Right. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> That's been a challenging, they just last week, they've gone back on it now, but they just last week announced no more flights. They said no more people who don't have existing reservations coming in. And then they walked it back to like, well, citizens can still make reservations. And they've now said, well, maybe we'll help permanent residents too. But it's that sort of instability. It's that hit of like, well, you know, I have friends who, you know, took this sort of seeming lull you know, the seeming quiet time to go like see their children who are studying back at home and who now, you know, can they come home? They don't know. You know, right. I have friends who, yeah, yeah I was able to, you know, travel back and see my mom over the summer, but, you know, I have friends who, who weren't able to, and who, you know, now maybe won't be able to. So that's been a bit. <laughs> yeah. That would be nerve wracking to think that, yeah, if you wanted to go visit family or something that you, you might end up stranded and not able to get back into the country. Yes. How does your family work in terms of language? Because you got your daughters when they were older, presumably they weren't speaking English when they came into your family. So do they, do you speak Japanese with them or do you speak English as well? Or what does that, how does that work? Yeah. Well, so initially, because our first daughter was two when she came. So initially we were doing a lot more English. My husband and I speak English together because his English is better than my Japanese. But because our other daughter was older, she was 10 when she came. We felt it was more important, you know, to have sort of a feeling of, of unity. So it sort of dropped a lot of the English speaking and we speak uh, Japanese together mostly. And my Japanese is, is okay. I can, I can get by you know, sort of like casual conversation with the kids is not really a problem. Although occasionally it'll be like, you know, they need something for school and we have to sort of sit down and figure it out together. But yeah, we pretty much do just Japanese and, and don't worry about it so much. <laughs> they, they study English in school, so they both know some. So Sarah, do you find that you dream in Japanese or still in English? Oh, I think there's some of both. There's definitely some of both. Yeah. In one of the, like, in the farming group that we're in together, you've posted before about some of the, well, I say wildlife that you have to deal with and <laughs> probably don't around here. Can you enlighten us on some of the pests and other than fast growing bamboo, what are some yes. of the other things you have to contend with that we probably don't? Well, we do. We are the original home of those murder hornets that you folks have been hearing about. <laughs> um, we do have those. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. So we have, though they are, we kept bees for a while and those, um, those hornets do attack bees. So they, they are a notable presence and they also go after fruit. So like they'll go after the figs on the fig trees or we have persimmons falling out of the trees and they'll go after those. So they are, you know, they are scary. They are giants and they are aggressive. So we have them. And then we have, we have vipers. I think they are, I think they're pit vipers. So a uh, venomous snake that, that basically 
you are just real careful to not ever go into any sort of tall grass without right. at least having real good boots on. So, so we got another them. reason to not let those fields grow up in any weeds. Right? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then the wild boar are a big thing where we are right now. They, we lost almost all of our squash crop to them this year. Oh, wow. There's almost always something. Yeah, that one was a real... I was real excited. That was sort of a project I was working on and I had all these, you know, not quite right, but they're coming along nicely squash. And then, well, yep, exactly. (laughs) And then we lost them. So that's too bad. So I do spend a lot of time and energy making fences to keep them out. (laughs) And then off in the hills, there's monkeys and there's deer, but I don't think we've had them come down. They're more about like a once in a while, maybe you'll see them sort of thing. (laughs) Right. Climate wise, what is it like where, where you live? Well, so both colder and hotter than where I grew up in coastal <laughs> Northern California. All the extremes. <laughs> That's right. It's, we've been having a lot of, you know, as everywhere, of course, hotter than ever summers, record-breaking summers. So our summers are usually, they're usually hot and humid. Usually there's a lot of thunderstorms, but you know, this last year we had a record-breakingly dry summer. But we get typhoons a little bit in the fall. Usually we're in a more protected area, but again, as everywhere else, more extreme storms. So we've been getting them more a bit lately. And then in the winter, we tend to have dry, clear weather a lot. It gets cold. We get minus five as a pretty common overnight temperature. I think minus 10 is sort of the coldest it's ever been, sort of a temperature. Um, but it's sunny and clear. Oh, Celsius. (laughs) That's right. Celsius. See, see, we're speaking the same language now. (laughs) We need like a, like a babble fish from Hitchhiker's Guide (laughs) to help us with this Celsius and Fahrenheit situation. Below freezing. Yeah. Because I guess it'll be probably in the twenties is probably, so the, the cold, the overnights are probably in the twenties, but we don't get a lot of snow. So nothing like what either of you deal with, I think. (laughs) We don't get nearly as much as we used to either. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So Sarah, what's, what does the future look like with your daughters and with the farm and the business? And now are you hoping that they'll take over? Are they out of there as soon as they, as your (laughs) daughter hits 18? Like what's your farm families, man? That's right. Yeah. (laughs) that's right you guys both have sort of you know generations of generations of pressure building on you and we don't have that so that's probably nice for the kids but are on the other hand maybe the security is a nice thing that you guys have got that our kids don't have but for our older daughter she has she went to a high school a vocational high school studying food preparation and now she's in a vocational uh, a two-year vocational program also studying food she would like to find a job and sort of be on her own a bit is sort of her plans, but you know, things are hard and you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, So if she's able to do that, then that's wonderful and we'll let her, but if it's, you know, things, yeah, things are hard. (laughs) If that doesn't come Mm -hmm. together for her, we're also able to give her either a full-time or a part-time job with us. And we've been sort of doing the math a little bit lately as she's getting, she'll be officially a fully an adult at 20 in Japan, although they've changed the law. So our youngest will be out of here at 18. Um, 
but we've worked out that if she works even part-time for the company, we can, as part of her pay, we can have the company give her like a housing stipend, have the company provide her housing. So we have sort of a, a really nice little safety net for her built into that, which has been reassuring to sort of figure out. Uh, because as I said, she has some neurodiversities and, you know, just sort of jumping two feet out into the big wide world is a scary step for anyone. So we'll see what, what sort of works out, what she wants to do. Our youngest, I keep trying to convince her that she wants to have a, a fancy gift shop with our stuff in it in the department store. <laughs> but currently she wants to be a hairdresser. So that's fine. <laughs> she can do that. <laughs> People will always need hairdressers. It's a exactly. Solid, solid career, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I think so I too. Have several friends with kids with different levels of disabilities and planning ahead for their futures is a a real thing that I had never really considered you know that's right how to support kids and still let them lead their own lives which is I guess basically the goal of raising children you know all the way around but it's definitely more complicated when that's right it's gonna need more support even, you know, through adulthood. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a little hard to sort of balance letting them try things versus, mm -hmm. you know, making sure you've got something in place. You know, you don't want to take over the planning too much, but you know, you also want to set them up for success as much as possible. So I got to say, Arlene was really helpful when I was having a, a bit of a crisis a little bit ago. I'm <laughs> just trying to figure out where my head was going to be at, but we're feeling like we've got sort of a few different levels of possibilities sort of set up now, which is very, very calming <laughs> for me as a parent. She's probably still feeling pretty out there, but. <laughs> I imagine too, going from such a structured school environment into yes. the, the world, you know, obviously that, that works for a lot of people. If you're going straight into a career, then, you know, that's, that's great. But, but because of the amount of time they, they have been spending in school and the, you know, potentially lack of, of life skills as a result, the way you know the way you talk yes about it. i mean yeah. obviously she's going to have food handling so that that's a good life skill skill to have but there's yeah there's other components that you know once that structure of schooling isn't there anymore then that that opens people up to you know recognizing that there's maybe some vulnerabilities or, or things they hadn't really had to do before that's right that's right it just so happens that, that Katie's daughter and mine have the same birthday, but mine's turning 16 and is excited to go and uh, try to get her driver's license. Ooh. So that's a whole other <laughs> layer <Wow>. of uh, <laughs> potential stress. I'm sure yes. she's she, I mean, she obviously being a farm kid, she does have more experience with driving tractors than the, you know, the side-by-side -side and things like that. So she does have some experience behind the wheel, but the other day she said she'd just driven the vehicle over to the gas tank that we have on the farm. And she's like, wow, the brakes are really responsive. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to jam them down quite as hard as on a tractor. I was like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> well, better learning that at home than on the highway. Yeah, yeah, that... So Sarah, are there county fairs in Japan or what is the equivalent community celebration? Mm -hmm. So there's not a county fair, but there are a lot of sort of seasonal, seasonal festivals. So I think we could probably count that as fairly similar. Okay. So if you were going to dominate a county fair or a seasonal festival category, <laughs> so, you know, little kids and sweet old ladies, yeah. um, what, what category would it be in? So I thought I had a good answer for this last night as I was making dinner, 
I, I can do a pretty good job of like a really quick meal looking meal when there seems to be nothing in the house. Now I haven't been to a county fair where that's an option, but you know, <laughs> you know, using our imagination a bit, yes, my daughter did complain after I served so. it last night, <laughs> but <laughs> she did also eat it. So making something out of nothing, I think you I said, could show up. Quick, you didn't say delicious. Right. I, exactly. So. Fast and fast and, you know, acceptable. You know, she did yeah. eat it. <laughs> you know, nothing fancy. Definitely. I would, I would not win any fancy competitions. I am no good at the fancy, but you know, quick and sort of sufficient. It's enough. Mm-hmm. Good enough for government work. As my mom used to say, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think I could nail that. <laughs> I'm guessing probably brownies too, but you know, since that's the main part of your bakery. <laughs> yes. I think, I mean, I definitely do make a solid gluten-free brownie. So if there is a category for gluten-free brownies and you can bring your own homemade flour, <laughs> then uh, I could probably make a good showing there. <laughs> so, Sarah, other question, and I'm just going to add this in, you know, hard yeah. journalism. So <laughs> for my work, I deal with a lot of computer accounts and you know catch spammers and we Mm -hmm. get a lot of spam from southeast asia about Mm -hmm. gambling and today Mm. i saw one you know normally it's boxing and like soccer you know because they'll list all the things you can bet on so it's like boxing soccer cockfighting but today i saw one that was boxing soccer cockfighting and tofu throwing I've like, never, I've never heard seen of that. This no, <laughs> no, neither have I. But I mean, in all fairness, like I would pay to watch that. I guess. And I mean, I yeah, it's the vegetarian watch, version. Yeah, people Maybe watch it's at some kind of community festival. That yeah, know, there must be. There yeah. must probably is one out there. My husband had a job for a while pulling pulling a direct sales tofu cart, going from going from place to place in Tokyo, selling tofu out of a cart for a little bit while we stayed with his mom in Tokyo. So <laughs> no so throwing that I know of. <laughs> two more questions. How far do you think you could throw a block of tofu? <laughs> well, you know, I think if we, I think if we channel, channel some of the rage at the end of a day, you know, let's see. It would depend on the I'm size of you know, the tofu, of course. That's right. You know, I'm thinking that we've got, you know, our, our chickens live inside of sort of a greenhouse, like a hoop house greenhouse. And I mean, I could, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we toss stuff in there for them to eat. You know, I could definitely go to the back of the hoop house. You know, that's, yeah. I don't really know how far that is. 20 meters? Is that 20 <laughs> meters? I don't know if that's very far for tofu. Did they give, you know, specs in the email? No, <laughs> you know, and I, did, I like, I kind of ignored it when I came across it. And then I just spent the rest of the day thinking about it. About it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I mean, it I feel like, like maybe I would pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like the soft tofu versus like a block. Of That's extra right. Firm or like. That's right. You know. And is it, is it in the package? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, next time I'm feeding the chickens and, you know, we got some, I think there is some expired tofu from my fridge that needs to go to the chickens actually, because I keep <laughs> buying food and then yeah. not actually making it into those meals I said I was so proud of. <laughs> so I'll let you know how it goes. So- that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll set up a video of see how see how far I can go. <laughs> no, seriously, we'll put it on our TikTok. We're uh, we're actually we're up to like three subscribers, and I feel like they're probably going to want us to actually do something pretty. Well, there you go. They're waiting. Well, and so it's far. clearly an, an important internet keyword, so it'll it'll do wonders for your yeah. account. I'll I mean, see I what I can do. <laughs> all of our followers are members of Arlene's family, but. <laughs> And second question, how do we cook tofu so it's not weird? Oh, well. Just... <laughs> Enough people eat it that I feel like there must 
be ways to make it better. Yeah, well, so I think <laughs> like really, I, I really think no, no, I got to insult a tremendous uh, no, amount no. of the population. I I think the thing is that you know tofu is sort of introduced to American cuisine as a meat substitute, which is not really necessarily what it is. <laughs> so I think you sort of have to move away from the idea of it being a replacement for something, mm -hmm. and you know using it as a separate dish. So. You want to make sure you drain it because it's packed in water. So you got to get the, you know, the, the water it's packed in out. So you want to make sure you drain it. That's really important. A really easy and always tasty way to go. You drain the tofu. You get the hard tofu, the momen tofu. Slice it up. Maybe like, you know, it could be like so anywhere between a half an inch and an inch thick. Make some slices. And then some flour. I do rice flour because that's what I have. So maybe flour or um, starch. Sort of bread it. Mm -hmm. And uh, deep fry it. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And then uh, you know, then when it's all nice and crispy and, and toasty and brown, you can you know have some soy sauce, put some ginger on there. I think that's the way to go. I mean, I think Actually, the the mistake, yes, yeah, the mistake is sort of this is a health food. You must eat it in a healthy way. So scrap that. You know, it's not a replacement. Mm -hmm. It's not a health food. It's just a food. Deep fry it, and it'll be delicious. I promise. Yeah, I feel like maybe I was vegetarian for a number of years in high school, and I feel like the way it was served, because I went to a boarding school, so, you know, we ate a lot mm. of cafeteria-style food, mm -hmm. was very, you know, um, plain tofu mixed right. into things in place of meat, and then everybody would be like, it's exactly. just like meat, you can't even tell the difference. <laughs> exactly. What have you guys yes. been saying? you can't tell the difference? Like, yes. Uh, yes, you have like a tofu scramble. It's just like scrambled eggs. No, it's really not. It's no, not it's like not. scrambled eggs. It's a different thing. <laughs> Which is fine because it is a different thing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, that's that's good to know that mm -hmm. we're just doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the it's the sort of the mysticism of the fancy food from outside. It's a it's not that. Just you know, skip that. Find a recipe that's from a place where tofu's a tofu's a normal food and use that. <laughs> Fair enough. I like it. That seems like a perfect segue into the cussing and discussing section. So as always, if any listeners would like to submit their cussing and discussing, you can email us at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com or send us a private message on either Facebook or Instagram. Katie, do you have anything to cuss or discuss today? You know, I always do, Arlene. Well, yeah. As I, I mentioned earlier, I, I moved my desk over and since I work for a tech company and record a podcast and that, you know, I thought, well, I'll set up dual monitors and what the hell is the matter with tech companies that we cannot standardize what the plugs are for things <laughs> and how many plugs there are for things. And I just have such a hot mess of wires and adapters and just bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And, you know, like the, the mic has to be connected no more than one connection away from the computer or it doesn't work. Like just, I had a conversation with my new boss at 9am today and my, my uh, webcam wouldn't work, which oh, no. working for a tech company looks, <laughs> looks super, super slick, you know, when you're like wrestling your laptop open <laughs> because your camera doesn't work. It just, just standardize the damn things. It just makes me mad. It's just stupid. I just want it to be easier. 
Anyway, Arlene, what have you got today? So my cussing today is the winter clothing. There's just too much of it. Uh And we're, you know, we've got three boys, so everything's black, which is great until you try and tell them apart and figure out whose snow pants are whose. And then we've also got the added barn element. So then you're trying to figure out everybody's second set of barn stuff so that all their school stuff doesn't smell like barn stuff. So then you have to do a second round of snowsuits and boots and toques and mitts and all the stuff. And there's too much of it. And winter is crummy anyway. So yeah, just winter stuff. There's too much. I'm feeling that the daycare asked us to bring a whole set of winter clothing to stay at daycare, which is totally understandable. All of our local stores have been out of snow pants for several weeks already. Like, we haven't gotten any snow yet, and you already can't buy any snow pants. <laughs> yeah, that's and it right. just all gone. It, it makes me mad that everybody's like, well, shop locally. And I'm like, well, cool, but they don't have them. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't do it if they won't. Uh, stock it. And Arlene, how did you pronounce this word for the thing you put on your head? <laughs> it's a toque. I'm Canadian. This is what we No, call I just always assumed it was toque. No, toque. Like a, a chef's toque. <laughs> so. Or like marijuana? No. Toque. No, Arlene. <laughs> oh, how did the marijuana harvest go up there, Arlene? Did they finish that yet? <laughs> I don't know. All the plants got stolen. Although I did have a <laughs> I, I got a couple of family, not my plants. I don't grow it, but other people do. After our podcast where we talked about people getting their pot plants stolen, I had a couple of family members let me know that it's three plants is what each person is allowed. So if anyone wanted to know, I, I was informed by, by some family members that three is the magic number. So now you know. It just never occurred to me that growing pot had like a season. <laughs> well, I like, guess you're doing it outside. I don't know. I was, you know, I'm basically the uncoolest person in the world. So, um, Sarah, whatever. do you have anything to cuss and discuss? Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I've been giggling along with you. It's nice. Honestly, may I just may I just cuss banks? Just I promise, banks. Sure. I don't have a money laundering amount of money. You could just let me. You could just let me bank. I promise, I'm not trying to money launder. I'm just trying to to live and pay my bills and stuff. I have I have a bank in the U.S. that wants my I don't know I think they want my pin number from 2001 or something oh, I don't no. know I don't know <laughs> and they won't let me in and I have my banks in Japan that won't I there's a separate pin for the internet bank but the postcard didn't come I just I don't know it's too hard it's too hard I give up <laughs> especially when you're not a real person and they won't exactly. Let you do well, that's you why can't I have a have credit card, but you can banks. also have your money. Yes, that, that is exactly it. I thought, well, you know, at least I thought I had a debit card I could pay for things with, but it turns out, no, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I just have money I can't get to. <laughs> our friend Kevin submitted our very first listener addition to our cussing and discussing segment. So we're going to go ahead and add that in right here. Goddamn fucking haylage bales keep freezing gets worse and worse the longer this cold spell goes and i'm getting frustrated because it's too fucking hard to feed fucking cows because it all sticks together in one big frozen fucking block and i'm mad right now that's it 
Okay, I've calmed down a little bit more. Found my pry bar, so I can pry apart, pry apart the flakes to feed them out. So that'll work. At least they're large squares of baleage. I've had to do deal with frozen solid large rounds of haylage before <clears throat> and man I had to use a chainsaw some combination of a chainsaw an axe and a pry bar to get that apart not fun anyways hope everybody else is enjoying the winter Anyway. Sarah, do you have any social oh, media or accounts that people can follow if they want to learn more about the farm or the business, even just to check out and see if you have any pit viper po photos? <laughs> <laughs> I think that my husband updates our Facebook page, but that'll be in Japanese. Facebook will translate it, but not always reliably. So <laughs> <Not> well. <laughs> just don't believe everything you read there, but they're usually photos. <laughs> and so the name of our sort of whole deal is, which is the name of a bird. It's H-O-T-O-T-O-G-I-S-U. And if you just put in Hototogi's farm or Hototogi's bakery, eventually you'll probably find us. There's also a ramen shop in Tokyo, but they also look nice. You might enjoy their, their pictures as well. <laughs> <laughs> we can follow them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So, Sarah, one more question before we wrap up. If a pit viper and a uh, wild boar were going to, like, <laughs> duke it out. I don't know how they would because mm -hmm. there's some obvious problems here. Who do you think? Are there? <laughs> I'm pretty well, sure it would be the, I'm pretty sure it would be the viper. I think the viper yeah. would probably win. They just uh, hang out and sit there ready to bite you if you don't watch where you're going. That's I almost, true, uh, we did one. <laughs> viper does seem like they'd have an advantage in the stealth department. Yes. Over any sort of pig related situation i think so i think they just jump up and bite them on the nose before the tusks could get them i would lose to them both no question there i would lose to either of them but <laughs> pit them against each other and i think the snake wins <laughs> well that's good to know anyway <laughs> thank you for joining us sarah we really appreciate thank it. you for having me yeah. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Barnyard Language. You can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, where Sarah will be posting that, that video of the tofu throwing. <laughs> As Barnyard Language and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. Join the private Facebook group to hang out with us and other farm families. We would appreciate it if you would like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. And leaving a review is a great way to help us reach more listeners. We would welcome your submissions for future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest, please get in touch. You can support the show by becoming a patron on the Barnyard Language Patreon.